0: I mean, there's a lot of thankless jobs in media these days and I know Elon Musk has to come up. Yeah. He had a week, huh?
1: (laughs) I think we're watching also someone maybe realize that he's not as popular as he thinks he is. I think the Chappelle thing and then those
0: polls genuinely rattled him. Really? I'm always amazed by this idea that people are so accomplished and smart but can lack basic self-awareness. But maybe that's the Asperger's thing. I, I think know.
2: I think Alex is kind of right. I think even his his besties started to question what he was doing.
0: Tro- Wait. So let's just say Elon's like, "Hey, Troy wants you to be CEO." A lot of people ask me that this week. <laughs> I love <laughs> how you just say that.
2: I'm telling you, in all cases, I just said no way.
1: I'm making a podcast now. I don't have time for this shit.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I said I'm, I'm busy.
0: Aldo <laughs> El- busy. doing this podcast at the end of the summer, right when I was undergoing my own reset by moving back to New York City from Miami. And it felt like the closing of a chapter on a pandemic era of life. And yes, I know COVID is still here. But the end of the calendar year tends to be time for a reset. And we like to use them as an excuse for a fresh start. I think that's why we have sober January and even beganuary now. And gyms are often crowded and I see people very red in the face who are out for their first round in many, many months uh, in, in the beginning of January. And I think 2023 is going to be a year of resets, but it's resets of expectations. And that's because, as we've discussed on the show previously, we're closing out an era and entering a new one whose contours are only coming into focus now. The teetering economy will cause further stresses as all aspects of the economy and society begin to fully emerge, not just from the pandemic era, but a long run of economic growth. And let's face it, expectations will need to be adjusted. You know, we've seen the start of this in the technology industry, both with valuation expectations and worker expectations. And it will undoubtedly spread throughout the downstream economy, notably in media. And we're going to discuss the ramifications of these reset expectations for advertising, publishing, and technology this week. All right. This is our final... I think this is our final episode of the year. It should be the final episode of the year. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to record any podcast next week, so no, we're I'm done. out. But I, I thought it would be a good time to like talk about what's going to go on next year. I think it's going to be a year of resets. I don't want to force like a theme, but we're trying something different where each of us is going to sort of lead a, a thematic discussion. And Troy, I want to start with you because I think with the economy going where it is, advertising is the big question mark. So why don't you start us off by, by giving a little outlook what we should expect in the overall ad market uh, in 2023?
2: Well I'll do my best, Brian. I, I, I you think so. Well, a, a, a friend of mine, a senior person in the ad industry, suggested to me that the biggest determining factor of what the year ahead looks like is the macroeconomic environment. And I think that's that's right. That's the big question. Are we gonna have a, a harder, soft landing? And you know I think if things are too soft, you're gonna you know you're gonna see, quite a bit of carnage on the, on the agency side. But I, I, I think that, I guess what I was trying to think, Brian, is what are some of the bigger themes? You know, everybody talks about everything changing in the ad world perennially, like it's always, but it's never seems to change that much. And, you know, in some ways holding companies have defied the logic of their analysts because in the end, they're heavily diversified businesses with above and below the line, you know, competencies. So when, you know, when the big the big creative agencies like BBDO or Ogilvy are struggling, you know the you know the specialist firms and PR firms and some you know kick in and and kind of offset the challenges in other parts of the business. But it's hard not to look at the ad industry, Brian and, and Alex, and think like. You know, that this is a moment where digital media is really struggling. And that's evidenced in lots of ways where you can see, you know, growth rates that have come down. You can see challenges at Vice, at BuzzFeed, at Dot Dash. And at the same time, you know, the overall media ecosystem is kind of coming to terms with total content abundance and real attention fragmentation. And now, and, and now AI, because if you're looking at, you know, how you create, uh, you know, AI has come for 80% of, of advertising, digital advertising now programmatically traded. And if you look at, you know, sort of new service offerings from like Google, like Performance Max, you can see so much more of like stuff like media mix modeling is being automated very competently around performance advertising. And it's hard not to see that how, you know, a lot of creative process is going to be impacted by improvement in tools. So, you know, I mean, I would argue that, that a lot of that change came to media and people still found, uh, you know, ways to, you know, need more people to create media. But, you know, I, I, I think that you're going to have this kind of diminishing, cont- the value of an impression com- continues to diminish to its kind of performance value, it's harder and harder to find bandwidth to tell stories like television used to. So that stuff is going to be, you know, super premium. And, you know, the one thing about advertising, I think is one thing that never goes away is, you know, making meaning, meaning rather, is still really, really important. So companies that can help you, you know, turn your products and brands into something that's more meaningful to a consumer remain, you know, re- really important. And I would also add one other thing just maybe to get your reaction to, but I feel like we're 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 in a real kind of creative drought right now, or particularly around video advertising. To me, it feels like we're in this period of what I would call checklist advertising where m- more creative energy is spent on, you know, whether you're hitting all the notes from a social perspective in your ad than actually making something that's endearing and funny and memorable for the consumer. So, I feel like we're in a, a time of real, like a real creative pit right now. But and I, that's uh,
0: inevitable, particularly in, a, you know, assuming we're going to have a recession, seems like we are, everything goes to performance, right? And every performance, performance marketing has like eaten the media world as far as I can tell. It, it It's gone from being there's no above the line and below the line, like there's no line and and it it wasn't like the creative side of the industry won like the math won mm-hmm. and then and that's what you see with the pmax uh, the the Google thing is you know whether people will trust Google to allocate the spending where they want is beyond me, but yeah you know, the idea that we're just gonna f- find what works best, why do you care about where it appears or you know? This I, I love the idea of creating meaning and stuff like this. I don't think in a recession that that is going to be where the money is. Isn't creating it? customers, AI is going to make it worse. Oh, for sure, right? Because
1: algorithms already make it made it terrible. AI AI creation is going to make it worse.
0: I'm going to start a, a spinoff publication: People versus AI. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. Well, <laughs> the other another interesting fact uh, that I came across that is. It's hard to not see uh, uh, retail advertising as being the place w- that sucked up a lot of the action. Just a huge amounts of money around you know, Amazon, Walmart, and all the others that have data that is in the category of retail advertising. And, and Brian, the Google and Facebook are now under 50% of, yeah. of spend, which is the first time since I think it's like, like 2014 that yeah. they represented under 50% of digital ad spend.
0: Alex, where were you you, you had some
1: Well, I was going to say I, you know, one of the things I've been noticing is everyone's advertising kind of feels like it's uh, in trouble and yet everyone's moving into advertising. So we're seeing Netflix and Disney Plus, but when when you talk about retail, the big one coming is Apple, right? Apple could be considered a retail advertiser and its App Store to its, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, it's pretty
0: massive. Yeah, but like, I, so let's talk about the retail media stuff because like, is it even advertising, right? Like, I mean, the what people call advertising, the successful forms of advertising in digital media, to me, it's like, it's not even advertising, it's toll booth, like a toll booth is not an advertising, right? And like, a lot of this retail media is, oh, you want to get on the shelf where well, you're going to buy this? And it's just, it's a shakedown scheme as far as I can tell. Am I missing something here? I mean, I don't remember people talking about shelf takers as advertising. I mean, it's a totally different category. I don't, it's not like publishers are competing for these, these shopper marketing money.
1: I, I, I mean, I think it's slightly different to having shelf space in a, in a Walmart uh, because you know, Amazon and the App Store are search engines, right? Isn't Amazon the second largest search engine in the world? So, therefore, you have a surface that you can advertise on and it's much closer to something you'd find on Google.
2: Yeah, I do think that it all gets mixed in now so that you are making, making trade-off decisions between what you spend on Facebook, what you spend on Google, and what you spend on Amazon. And and it does suggest that more and more advertising, to your point about shelf space, is just becoming a distribution calculation. Like, it's 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 about a cost of selling, and so they're you know inevitably they mix. But the fact is they're soaking up lots of dollars, and there's net net there's a bunch of new people competing for ad budgets that used to be called something else. So I think it's important.
0: Oh, I, I think it's important. I just think that it's it's worth noting that like this is. And maybe this is where advertising is going. Like it's it's less about like creating meaning and cultural moments and stuff like this. The the money is has long been and will continue to be in if you can like be a bottleneck in front of like I mean, basically the reason search works is because people tell you exactly what they're after and you get in front of them with something else. Like someone searching for Best Buy flat screen TVs and sticking a competing retailer in front of that query is not advertising. But, but Brian, Google Google does the same thing. That's what I mean. I mean like uh, everyone wants what Google has and what Google created was more akin to like the yellow pages like on steroids than it was to what I believe what advertising had always been. So I think everyone goes to this performance and you look at like Instacart, like Instacart I get the story that they're out there saying it's AdWords for CPG, amazing, everything like this. They use this to make their product worse. Like, and I don't know when that like catches up to you. Like, I mean, if you search for a product on there, I'm like, I want to buy this thing. Like, why are you now putting it like seven items lower? Um, have you
2: seen Have you seen the advertising on Uber?
0: Yeah, it's annoying as shit. I'm waiting for, they don't, first of all, they're lying to me about how far away the car is. And then they're, I feel like they're incentivized to not match until like, I get like a 15 seconds of impression.
1: Well, the incentives mm-hmm. are probably going to be, you know, I at risk of, of being distorted. Well, that's the problem if, with if, advertising,
0: if, right? Like it, it, it screws up the incentives to create a great product for uh, your
1: user. I agree. What happens when Apple starts doing so much money in advertising that it starts messing with its, you know, user-centric flows that it kind of built into its UIs?
0: I, they'll just put it off to the side. It's the same as when Google decided don't be evil, meant well, don't be evil Which, most of the time, or who knows what's evil. So what advertising, advertising ruins everything. No, I don't think it necessarily ruins everything, but I think that... Like when you're saying people going to advertising like Netflix and stuff like this, it's a defensive move. I mean, it's because they've run, they've run out of like growth. And I don't think that Steve Jobs running Apple would have been like, yes, app store ads are, you know, that like, no way. He wanted to sell, make great products and sell them. Like Tim Cook's a supply chain guy. And like, yeah, of course they're going to make all their money on services because they have a chokehold. Maybe I had a third cup of coffee.
2: I like. I I like. I mean, the line of the day is Uber is lying to me, but I do think that uh, the uh, the second order consequence of things, you know, Brian, you highlighted this before, is always something that we overlook. I heard a really good anecdote about this. On I think it was on Ezra's pod, Ezra Klein's podcast, which is a parent had incented uh, an older child to make sure the younger child got to the bathroom and he the father offered to pay the older child like a dollar every time the kid went to the bathroom mm-hmm. well what the kid started doing is basically force feeding the young kid water so that he would go to the bathroom all the time and he could make more money
1: i mean it's it's uh, it's why setting the right okrs is really important
0: right you know? Yeah, it's all about incentives. That's what I like about salespeople. It's like very simple incentives. You yeah. Know? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like what's gonna make me more money? I'll let's do that. But I basically I do... you just
2: said that Uber introduced advertising and they made you go to the bathroom more.
0: Yeah. Pretty much. Second order. Second is, order effects is, is is gonna be in sales, no doubt.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think I think but just to take it back to your to your reset conversation, I uh uh I think there's going to be a lot of weird second order effects to these changes, you know. Maybe reset isn't, it's the right framing but not exactly the the right word for what's going to happen because it implies that things go back to the way they were and I think nothing's going to go back to the way they were, you know. I think everything is at risk of changing. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 do you want to go into the second topic of resetting publishing? I don't know. Troy just,
1: just brought out a ukulele, so I, I, I'm not sure. I, uh, I, uh,
2: I thought that was a good conversation. Before we leave it, I apologize for the ukulele. It happens to be sitting on my desk. I wonder what we can take away from this for the audience. So, you know, if you assume that we have a soft landing next year, digital budgets, you know, basically climb with inflation a little bit more for to accommodate kind of channel shift. So, so some people are predicting a kind of 11% growth in digital. A lot of that gets sucked up by retail advertising, frankly, and, and some CTV growth and stuff like that. But like, I wonder what it means if you're a CMO, how you're thinking about, you know, your ad budget in 23 and how you're thinking about what kind of skills you need to, to bring up skills in partners to bring a brand to life next year? Does anything change?
0: I mean, I would guess the first half of the year is going to be a holding pattern for most, right? Like, people are just going to put off decisions. That's why we get recessions.
1: But don't you think somebody could come in and, I don't know, I mean, I'm going to throw that word in again and do some magical shit with AI and break everyone's businesses? What does I that don't, Well, I keep You know, when you have technology that's it feels like, and, and you guys are media guys, it feels like media is just coming to terms with how to use the internet finally. And so some of the businesses are dying out. Some businesses are maybe not thriving, but doing better. And then there's this new wave coming that nobody's prepared for. There's way more competition in the ad market coming. I do think Apple is going to be an interesting player because they control, you know, if you want, they're the tool, toll booth before all the other toll booths, right? And, uh, and people might get squeezed into having to exist in stuff like Apple News to even exist properly and so to me it feels like hiring smart technologists that can see around corners uh, might be important for media businesses because it's changing again like it's like a potentially a new a whole new you know you know they're just catching up and and it's about to change again and I think the the rugs going to be pulled from a lot of from under their feet. I don't know. That's just me. We saw it when the yeah. internet happened. Everybody was fucking slow to move.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I would say that one other observation is it can't be good for, you know, lifestyle publishing that, you, you know, was dependent on using direct sales to sell more effectively and grow their revenue that way because so much of it is performance oriented. It's, there are so many new surfaces that have superior position around data and around you know purchase activity and there's just so many more choices that it feels like unless you have video an audience that you can you know advertise against with video that it's just going to get harder for what we considered all of the media that existed outside of television
0: So that is actually a good segue to, you know, advertising is downstream from the overall economy and publishing is typically downstream from advertising. So let's go into publishing for a minute. I, I personally think I, I wanna I wanna go back to Miami and to be more optimistic, but I just can't see a lot of optimism for next year for the overall publishing industry. And and part of that is because It's been a struggle for a lot of these publishers the last like seven or so years really and for the big digital publishers and that was during like an unprecedented boom time. I I think next year overall, we're going to come to terms with how good things were post great financial crisis and I think a lot of people were thinking that they were accomplishing things on their own, but they were being pushed along by an easy money era and that's Clearly, coming to an end, and I don't think the soft landing or hard landing. I think we're in for like a large, uh, you know, structural change to the economy. Obviously, the you know, like globalization is ending. All the efficient supply chains, all everything that was pushing along and making people making it easier to be profitable, cheap debt, and everything like this—that's all ending, and it's not coming back anytime soon. And I think a lot of publishers are going to have to look very hard at how they become efficient because I understand that, you know, like you were saying, Alex, like about like competing on technology. I just don't see publishers being able to do that. I think for the large digital publishers, a lot of them are not going to be independent at the end of 2023. I don't like to make predictions, but I think that's an indictment of the overall fact that digital media has not created lasting brands. Like it just hasn't. And I would love to spend like a couple minutes on why that is, right? Like, Troy, I remember I'd say you were talking to me about like building like the next, like digital media simply has failed at doing that. Like BuzzFeed, it was like a significant brand that was native to digital media. It's hard to see that even existing as an independent company throughout 2023. I mean, they're a penny stock right now. You know, Vice, fine, they started a little bit of analog and stuff like this. They're in for like a brutal year. Isn't this like an indictment of the fact that like digital media just simply hasn't created lasting brands? Say what you want about traditional media, but it created lasting brands.
2: Yeah. You know, they. I think that was David Carey that used to say that magazine brands were the sort of biggest brands set against the smallest businesses. So, people often thought that these magazine brands were, you know, really big, you know, multi-hundred million dollar businesses, and it, they were they just weren't, and they, they played a much bigger role in culture than the size of their business. And I think that your point is a really good one, and what it is, is that because there were fewer media brands uh, competing in, in what was really an oligopolistic kind of structure, Uh, that they hammered themselves into culture over time and became, you know, important cultural artifacts like...
0: Tracy Anderson? Are you a Tracy Anderson family? I I
2: don't know. So, um, you had fewer of them. They lasted a long time. They were on The Tonight Show. They were on newsstands. They were part of our, our lives and they became big brands. And now what we're doing is harvesting them. And the new brands that came along, whether it was Bustle or or, uh, Gizmodo or, you know, like you said, BuzzFeed, you know, they grew up at a time when they were, I think, arguably important to many people's media diets, but they just weren't as culturally significant. And, yeah, that's where we are. There's a lot more of them in their... their, uh, you know, not as, not as deep as they were, or they're not as entrenched in culture.
0: Yeah. So next year is going to suck to run like a digital publisher, right? A lot of bad meetings, a lot of talk about cutting. Feels hard next year. Yeah. But I'm curious,
2: cause I think you wrote it up in your notes, Brian, what, where you would be putting your money here. Where do you think the growth models are?
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I think going into like a recession, it's, it's, you've written about the lean media, I, the safest place is to have like a low cost base, and a lot of publishers simply don't have a low enough cost base. You know, I know the with all the layoffs that have happened like over the years, there's probably and it's terrible for people to lose their jobs. But you're seeing this reckoning happening in Silicon Valley, and I think like a big trend in 2023 is going to be small teams that are able to accomplish like a whole lot rather than big bloated organizations that like lumber on like, cause it, I feel like we're coming out of an era where the ability to solve problems was always about throwing more bodies and more resources at them. And, and that happens when, when money is really cheap. Related to that,
2: where do you think, how do you think new media brands, which could encompass an actual brand or an individual, how do you think they're created now? Where do they come from?
0: Like, Wait, is Mr. They- B-
2: well, like Mr. Beast brand, big brand, you know, will it last? You know, like, so where did, you know, if before, you know, famously, magazines were always held up on the Tonight Show to say, hey, you know, we have a guest here. Look, they're on the cover of Esquire magazine or whatever. Like, there were ways that, that these brands became an important part of what we were talking about and the framing of things in our world. And I'm just wondering where do do brands naturally emerge now, be it media brands or or brands of individuals, right? Like how did the Kardashians get created, right? It was through reality television. And then it was extended and fortified with social media and then with commerce. And they became a kind of, you know, a huge generational brand. Anchored in obviously a uh, you know a name and a family, like what what's hap- where do the big media brands come from next? Can you give me an example outside of Buzzfeed of a brand that you think is you know like what's the counterpoint? What did emerge?
0: Barstool. I mean, I think Barstool is like the counterpoint to Buzzfeed, right? If you're looking at era and go back to like 2016. Barstool was still being dismissed. They had horrible technology. No technologists. Their website did not work. They had no ad tech. They barely had any ads like because people didn't want to advertise with them. It became a tremendously successful business, far more successful than BuzzFeed. And the reason is because it was rooted around individuals and personalities. And I think that if you're going to start a successful brand now, you would start it very small and it would be around people that have some kind of personal connection that people have personal connection to. And that gives you a lot of leverage to build around, to build a brand, right. yes, but go on.
2: And media brands were replaced by platform brands. What do you mean by like, platform brands? Well, Snap's a brand, Facebook's ah, a yeah. brand, TikTok's a brand, Airbnb's a brand.
1: Yeah. I, I, think, I think personality-based brands seem to be less risky and more sustainable at this stage because it's the hardest thing to replace your cost structures much lower and it's harder for these platforms to abstract the individual right it's it's easy for a facebook or an apple news to repackage an article and i don't give a shit about who wrote it you know what i mean and so i just consume that content while if it's a mr beast post when it gets re-aggregated somewhere Uh, Mr. Beast gets a lot of that equity. Or somebody like MK uh, Marcus Brownlee, right? MKBHD is like one of the big YouTube tech channels. It's a a small team entirely based around his personality. It's a kid that started when he was like in his teens. I mean, he's no longer a kid. And he's built a really powerful tech news brand, right? So that stuff is really hard to uh, bypass for the platforms. So that's why it probably makes a lot of sense.
0: And also, like, I think one of the risk. someone sent this to me on on LinkedIn, the the best social platform out there, about AI search and how the, the risk is not just the Google, but what about publishers? I mean, publishers rely on search for the majority of their traffic. And every single publisher of any size has an SEO chop shop in the back in which they're writing SEO content in order to get traffic from Google. It's an arbitrage play, right? So... That's going to be a major challenge too. Like when, and when AI starts creating, you know, 90% of the content out there, I would guess that the value of human created content, at least human created content that is able to be made in a way that is qualitatively superior to what a robot can do because I think a lot of the content that is being created right now by humans does not need to be created by humans, then I think the only way you win against a robot is not to try to out-robot it, but to to fight on a more human level.
1: Isn't what's happening that all the content that we would have said is not particularly valuable, like all the mid-level stuff, right? All the, you know, 1,500 words before a recipe or, you know, lists... All that stuff is actually truly becoming valueless uh, with as technology progresses. Isn't this a good thing? And and in the meantime, things that come from a point of view that is personal is a safer space, and as well probably some of the bigger, larger brands that provide a, a level of quality that is that is unattainable for for individuals. But all that middle stuff is dying out because it's it doesn't provide a ton of value. I think. But isn't
0: isn't that the middle stuff that the, like creates the profits? I mean, I'm talking was, about societal uh, value over over my. Oh, societal of- value! I'm talking about P and Ls. I mean, come on, <laughs> we'll get to that later, 2024.
2: Yeah, I was. You you had me thinking about that, Brian, because I was thinking about like great little brands that are created around passion points. An example would be like Racket Magazine. And I was talking to Caitlin, the CEO yesterday, and she, you know, she's doing really interesting things from, you know, collapse with cool brands to, you know, a high value subscription product and all of yeah. that. But the business is, I would say, you know, kind of neat, but it's persistently small. And then you have guys that through lots of people and velocity and volume at publishing, like BuzzFeed did and then hoped that you could augment programmatic advertising with affiliate and with direct sold stuff and it's like that's not proven to be a very good model either right and that was meant to be a scale model like something that got you to several hundred million dollars in revenue so some of them got like BuzzFeed got to multiple hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue but it's it's unprofitable and it doesn't it doesn't there's no more growth so, uh, you know, I, I do think, you know, your whole thing, Brian, is about sustainability in these models. And I think it's really easy to, not really easy, but I think you can build a media platform around an individual like a Ben Thompson or a Paki or like, you know, Casey Newton can build a little one. The question is, can you build, where do you, how do you build like a meaningful new media business here? And so there's like, there's a couple of really visible experiments, right? Like I think Semaphore is an experiment in this. And I think Puck is a really interesting experiment in this, and so we'll we'll see.
0: So Pretty I, soon. you said meaningful. So like, what do you have to get to a certain like revenue threshold to be meaningful?
2: Well, I mean, I think you can be meaningful in, from an influence or cultural perspective, but yeah, I mean, I think a meaningful business. I mean, there's little meaningful, which is ten million dollars, and then there's you know, sort of semi-meaningful, which is a hundred million dollars. And then there's like you're you're like a really long you know like you're a, a really established good sized media business which is your five hundred million dollars. But that's Mr. Beast, right? That's a billion, right there. Yes. Well, I don't know that that much in revenue, but Mr. Beast, yeah, Mr. Beast kind of defied. It's a much bigger business than one would have expected on account of huge views, YouTube revenue,
1: and commerce. But isn't this isn't this a sign of things to come where you have a lot of smaller uh, personality-based media businesses that exist on massive platforms. Yeah. All right. So you don't they, spend don't money on... Te- don't try to build your own technology. Forget about but this that. Is the,
0: this is like the reset to me of like expectations, right? Like, I mean, just think about like the technology people, how how much they're going to have to... If you're a startup, you're going to have to reset your expectations. Massively for like what kind of valuation you're going to get now versus a year ago. You just, you, you are, right? It's inevitable. I don't understand why publishing would be any different.
2: What if we made this personal just to close it out, Brian? What, what do you hope to see in rebooting in 23? And what's going to get it to a place of sustainability where it isn't about you just like endlessly hustling?
0: I don't know if I'm endlessly hustling. I, For me, like in 2023, I want to like expand it beyond me. I mean, that's my North Star goal is to bring on other collaborators and to have different verticals and to still be like a small lean media operation. Because I think that's the, the biggest like advantage just from a business side that I can see is that I saw how you just like you you throw bodies at problems and stuff like this. And the more things you do, the more needs you have. And you can create, you can cover a lot of ground with a few people as long as you have, you know, the right people, I think. And so for me, it's getting beyond the, I know it works as like a solo business. It's just a matter of how do you, how do you grow to a point where it's not just you and it's, you have other collaborators and I think a lot of that now, particularly when like doing this now versus like early Digi day like just outsource everything as much Did, as who, possible. Who
2: got the logo put on the chopsticks?
0: Uh, my partners at Outbrain got the logo put on the chopsticks. You gotta have to explain
1: to, what this is.
0: I'm doing a, I'm doing an event at CES in Las Vegas with my partners at Outbrain, and they handled a lot of the logistics and stuff like this. And. You know, there's, there's, there's trade-offs to everything, but I just feel that the most that you can not take on costs is going to be tremen- tremendously beneficial in 2023. And I think that the way you build these companies, I have no idea, like I've never done it before, but to me, it's like, how do you defer taking on costs as much as you can? Perfect. Is that a bad strategy? I don't know. It's mine. <laughs>
2: Should we segue into to Alex's weekly observation?
0: Yeah. yeah. All right, Alex. What is what are we? I, I'm trying to force fit this 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 reset theme, but like I'm hoping that the technology industry that you're going to represent uh, is going to have a little bit of a reset uh, and go beyond the the culture war stuff. And start start building like a lot of like climate tech and 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 some of this AI stuff seems great too.
1: Yeah. Uh, well. I expect, I, I, think, I think Apple's moves uh, might be really interesting and change a lot of things next year. So they might be forced to open up to third-party app stores. And I don't know what that means. But you could imagine that if um, you were allowed to add a store or a hub uh, for applications, that could mean that you could open a hub for media properties. And while well, not bypass their payment systems or maybe even their 30% commission, Uh, Be able to do things that you couldn't do on the App Store. For example, Netflix could let you download a game directly from Netflix rather than sending you to the App Store. And I think there could be a fundamental shift in how the internet gets built uh, because I still have a prediction that the web is going to be ruined by AI before it gets fixed by AI. Uh, You know, we're going to be flooded with a lot of trashy information. I don't think Google search is going to get any better. So things like these kind of curated app stores um, are going to be uh, really important players, even more than today. But uh, what do you guys think about that?
0: It might be related to this, but I think sort of an offshoot to this is going to be the war on take rates. I think overall, a lot of these toll booths are charging too much. The tolls are too high. And... There's more focus is going to get put on this as we go from just growth, growth, growth to efficiency. And it's happening against a backdrop of the government uh, really scrutinizing the technology industry and the technology industry does not have a natural constituency right now in Washington, D.C. Both, both sides have problems with how tech operates right now. And both sides have real concerns about the power that the technology industry holds. And I don't think the tech industry does itself any favors with the unappointed spokespeople that they put out there <laughs> because the, unpa- the unappointed spokespeople are talking to themselves. They're not talking to broader society when they, when they, it's like, you know, when someone's like, it's like, maybe you should stop talking for a while, champ. That's how I feel with a lot of these tech people on on Twitter and whatnot, because their visions that they're painting and, and the villains that they're trying to bring up, I just do not believe that broader society is on their side with a lot of these things.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to fight the platforms on the take rate because everyone's been taking 30%, right? The PlayStation Store, Microsoft, most most. You know controlled ecosystems take 30%. That's the number. The only remaining free open platform is Windows, ironically, right? Where uh, you can just download anything you want and install anything you want, and maybe the Mac. I think that consumers actually like having these stores and don't give a shit about take rates. I think it's just corporations versus corporations and. Everybody's been making a ton of money so I'm not sure it's going to be as as easy as that I think yeah, people my hope ho- go ahead Alex I think I think I think the legislation might be put in to stop platforms from using or, or for forcing to use their own payments services so maybe open it up to other services but I, my guess is that the take rate is going to be hard to to fight against Sorry, Troy last night we
2: were trying to download a VPN on Apple TV and I couldn't there's no VPN on there. Does this fix that? It it might fix that. I think the. Just to be clear, there was nothing nefarious other than trying to watch an out-of-market basketball game.
1: No, I don't get that. I uh, <laughs> we've I all think, been there, Troy. Yeah, we we've all been there. I think that you okay. know it, it's been said that uh, you know all social media's you know is 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 moderation essentially. That's what they provide, right? I think these platforms are, and I think Apple's moderation makes it that I'm, I feel good about buying an iPad for my mom or, you know, using an iPhone to do business work because I feel they're safe and protected. And so I would, I wonder if they're going to open it up to anything, right? This is called like sideloading where you can open up things that they might not want you to do. And they could say that VPN make makes the Apple experience unsafe or more precisely, uh, makes conversations with the IP holders more difficult because Netflix doesn't want you to make it easy.
2: Well, Um, maybe you can answer a different question because I think that a lot of companies have struggled with the divide between the open web and the app ecosystem. And for a number of reasons. One is let's first of all identify why apps are so important and why they're so useful potentially to media companies or others. And I think there's really two things. One is if you do have the luxury of getting on someone's up or whatever it's called on their phone, you can get access to notifications and you can have a personal, you can have a, (coughs) excuse me, a persistent login. So once I download the New York times, I get their, their, uh, notifications and I don't have to log in every time. Mm -hmm. The problem with subscription media on the web is it's, uh, cookies make, and ongoing authentication completely fucked. So it, it never works properly. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just really difficult to manage uh, to manage as a consumer. Then if you're on the on the media side and you have to m- manage developing not just a website and everything that goes with that, your ad server, all that stuff, you got to then go out and build apps or Apple and Android and it's overwhelming for companies so what i would like to see is a way that i could have the benefits of uh an application um but not have all to go through the rigmarole and challenges of having to kind of live inside of apple's managed uh, store and ecosystem and i would like to have a streamlined development solution so that once i built it once i could make it work elsewhere
1: can that happen alex I mean, those already exist. You can pretty much build anything on on, on web HTML five technologies. Google has a something that I believe is called Flutter that lets you do, you know, multi platform stuff off one code base. All that stuff works, and technically, if you're diligent and smart with your technology, you can you can technically build it once and it exists everywhere. However, if you're very serious about it, it's always going to be better to build natively. I think all those platforms really want you to have some of the latest features and the performance benefits, you know, that happen when you build things natively. And it's actually, you know, Apple is uh, uh, incentivized to make, you know, natively build things better, right? They give you all these capabilities. It can run on a Mac, it can run on an iPad, et cetera, et cetera, as well as making the web worse, right? It's it's really painful to kind of put a, a web link from your Des- uh, on, onto your iOS desktop, I think they're just incentivized to make it slightly worse. So you can do it. I think uh, I think people are getting a lot of bad advice on that. I think you can do a lot of this stuff. All right. What I'm about thinking uh, of-
0: uh, what about Apple's business practices? Do they get more scrutiny in twenty twenty three? Because they they've sort of escaped. Like you know, F- Meta was getting beat up for months. Now everyone just like went over to beat up Twitter. So now Zuckerberg's like, oh, thank God, thank you, Elon. Yet. Apple somehow ha- never gets that. And I understand the the argument that people love Apple and everything like that and stuff like this. But at some point every business, particularly of this size and power, and they've been very aggressive with, you know, this ridiculous privacy stuff that they're doing to like stand up their ad business, that I just have to think that that lucky streak ends for Apple.
2: Uh, I, I, Troy. Well, I want I want to leave Apple, and I'm like As a, a consumer. Massive, I I want to go Green Bubble. I want I want out.
1: That's fucking
0: insane. See, it's gonna screw up our Jesus. Uh, text thing so It's know, the end I'm of just, the podcast.
2: I want to leave Apple. I want to. Why? I want because I want different hardware choices, and I feel like they're getting icky. The privacy stuff is annoying. They're just a bit too. They're just a bit too big brother for me, and I don't. I wanna, I wanna kind of be more freewheeling with my tech. I give you I wanna two move weeks. A bit.
1: I give you two weeks. I, I think the problem is David two, Sachs has an Android. I'm sure he does. Yeah, uh, because yeah. he doesn't want he doesn't want to be censored. I think Apple is going to. There's two things that Apple does really well. It sees around corners. So even like opening up the App Store, it might preempt you know, being forced to do some of that stuff and do it in a way that is beneficial to them. And Tim Cook is, you know, an excellent CEO and operator. And two, it's it's hard to fight companies when the public is rooting for them. And I think people still love Apple. I know we complain about stuff like that, but, you know, everybody that can afford it usually buys an iPhone. I mean, that's usually what's happening in the market right now, right? Doesn't mean that there's bad Android phones, but it's just... It's the it's the technology of choice for, for for people who can afford it. So I don't see the consumers turning on them, and if the consumers don't turn on them, I don't see a lot of energy in the government to do stuff. Why is you know Apple's doing all this stuff, and yet you know, you have, you know the the you Lina know, Khan is going after Microsoft's Activision uh, acquisition, which is an odd thing because so much crap is happening. Yeah, that's true in, in tech. There's just easier targets. Microsoft's an easy target because they still look like assholes to everyone, even though they have the most open platform of <laughs> them all. Does know?
0: Microsoft still look like an asshole to people? I think if you ask,
1: you know, regular person on the street, is Microsoft more evil than Apple? They will say yes. Hmm. I think we see, we, yeah, know, we, we kind of read yeah. this shit every day. So, we see things differently, maybe. I kind of, I like Microsoft, but... They are. They're, they're cuddly. I mean, their Xbox stuff is still charging 30% for everything. And everybody's moving to a subscription service, you know? And, and so, I don't know. Everybody can point to some form of competition, including Apple.
0: Um, yeah. so- I think the new norm on the take rate, I don't know why I'm obsessed with take rates, is gonna, it's going to move from 30 to 10. I think 10 is reasonable. Whoa. Substack does 10%. The open AI is going to do 10%. They're going to take a 10% cut. You build, you build a wrapper around open AI, they'll take...
1: They're going to do this thing where I they say they're going to take 10% for anything under $500,000 and they're going to show that it's 98% of their app store and make everyone happy while the all the whales making billions
0: of dollars are still going to pay them 30. All right. That sounds good. And I'm it's all make for the... progressive tax rates. Unless and, and like I'm right. at in the... That's right. Yeah, socialist. Top, top, top zone or anything. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm very... Then I'm moving to Florida.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we gotta wrap this up, guys. All
2: right, should we do best product this week? Best
1: product, good product, it's good product,
2: good product.
1: Yeah, you do
2: that. Do, do you have one? I'm gonna pull one out right now. You know what it is? I got a lot of good feedback on the on the the toilet seat tabs. Mm. Um, mm. So, uh, that that people appreciated that deep insight. What specifically
0: do people appreciate about
2: that? Oh, I love those things too, I heard from a couple of folks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's
0: that but human today, connection that I've been talking about.
2: Yeah. Today, what I thought I would do is it's the Nerf basketball hoop.
0: I loved those as a kid.
2: I think it's a good product. I played horse or pig, what is it, horse or pig last night with my uh, mm. with my kids. And, uh, you know, nothing got broken and it still highlights real raw talent. You can do all sorts of bank shots and stuff. Uh, it's a great product.
0: Have they evolved?
2: Mm. It's a Nerf ball and a basketball hoop.
0: Well, that's why I'm wondering whether they... Is that they... sound like an
1: iPhone app? Does it have a? <laughs> I was looking for a remote control robot for my five-year-old and I could not find anything that wasn't app enabled where you're staring at your screen. You Amazon know? has a new one out today, or my friend just got it today. My meat well, I mean, thermometer has an app. I'm looking for something that doesn't have an app, and I, I, I definitely don't want something with an Alexa in it.
0: If the a meat thermometer has an app, everything has an app. You
2: yeah. know what? We could inter- we have a new. I have a new idea on this. That I have a group of people that we brainstorm Shark Tank ideas, like unlikely Shark Tank ideas, mm. and one of them is uh, to compete with the very, very expensive chirogenic freezing process. So if you want to, you know, have your brain frozen so that you can be resuscitated in the future, um, you know, it's, but it's, it's very costly. So what we want to do is engineer a rocket, sort of a coffin rocket that puts you into low atmospheric rotation and it's cold up there. So you're naturally frozen. And so there is a chance that you could be resuscitated by alien life. And the cool thing is is you're in orbit. It comes with an app is the thing I'm getting at. And when like grandpa's overhead, you're you get an alert on your wow. app. So it's like so, an eclipse. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know that <laughs> you can kinda sort of pay respects when when he or she's overhead. Plus they, you know, you have free cold cryogenic like storage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, should there be a moment where we find, you know, alien life forms that help us, you know, turn gray matter back on that there's a good chance that they're going to you know be saved by that so i like that this product it's a kind of a it's uh it's you know works for anybody who's dying that wants to preserve their body plus it comes with an app
1: yeah and I, and you know when the one thing i want to do when i die is to get just a little bit more carbon footprint oh so you think that's, <laughs> so it's that's... not green enough well i'm going to be like Turn this into is ash. super
0: European. I'm going to be it's like, like I'm in- going to give up. I'm going to give up on the idea of like eternal life because of so like you of think my are you making a com- credits?
2: <laughs> are you making a comment, Alex? Is a bad idea because we got to fire off a bunch of rockets no, every time just the plant some well, I mean, trees. Y- y-
0: just it's do actually,
2: some
1: offsets. I think your idea might be good. I think they, 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 have you heard of Beyond Burials? Beyond Burials. Well, same idea. Uh, well, but you get thrown as ashes, which is a little lighter. So they but buy. You still have- you get you get cremated and then you get shot into space, your ashes. Yeah. Which, you know, I felt like was, uh, what I'm doing is I'm being kind of mulched into a tree or something. Sounds good.
2: Yeah, th- I like the idea of being shot into space as ashes, but you're never coming back to
1: life. I don't know. I mean, you could use uh, fractional DNAs. You don't know the technology
0: they have. Well, anyway. Also, like if, if, if this c- company went out of business, like what... <laughs> You're kind of screwed there. Too. Well, you're hoping I aliens mean, find you. You don't care. It's if bad the, enough uh, to be platform dependent. You
1: know. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to die and then wake <laughs> up ten thousand years later as a test lab subject in some alien. <laughs> or maybe they they do the same thing with with the two wolves and breed us until we all look funny and cute, like you're the human Pekinese or the human Pomeranian, and we just turn into pets. We that did that to wolves. Fun. Yeah, man. All dogs are wolves that we've messed with. Like really? basic, well, Yes, I mean, basically, if you look at a chihuahua today, you can trace it back to a wolf where we picked up a cub and we said, like, that one's got weird eyes, let's throw all the other ones in the pit and keep the weird eye one until we did. I think wolves one day are going to wake up and see what we did to them and just destroy us. Dogs, yeah. dogs, I mean, it's yeah. 10,000 years of fucking with their genetics yeah. so that they would love us unconditionally and look weird.
0: So oh my cruel. God, that is like a great dystopian future for us. Yes. We deserve it. We deserve it. Because we did it to the dogs, which is really right. kind of pathetic. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, because they have no defense, their only like leverage is like being like adorable and loyal. And exactly. Whatnot. Well, on that note,
1: let's wrap <laughs> yeah. the year. Okay, guys, this has been a, <laughs> right. this this has a, weird been a pleasure. Of year episode. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a pleasure.
0: Big thanks to Troy, Alex, and our podcast editor, Jay Sparks of Pod Help Us. It's the end of the year. If you're feeling generous, help us out and get this podcast discovered. You can do that by liking it, leaving a review, and sharing it with anyone you think would find it valuable. We'd appreciate it.